Although this does violate my personal philosophy of not even uttering the words RRSP in the like January 1st to, it becomes difficult when you're talking to clients about financial planning, I tell you. <laughs> the so savings vehicle that must not be named. <laughs> <laughs> I got a tracer on me. <laughs> Hello, all you wonderful people. My name is Chris Anson. Welcome to another episode of Because Money. So our original plan was to sit down and give you a short episode about RRSP loans. Doesn't that sound nice? But for you regular listeners, you'll know that uh, (laughs) short is a bit of a challenge for us. And so even though we completely managed our goal and recorded a nice, concise conversation, Sandy came back two days later after we had recorded and said she'd read something and had a whole new thought that we had to discuss. So today's episode is split into two parts, that initial short conversation and the second conversation, which starts in the realm of RSP loans and quickly devolves into a deeper discussion of the nuances of uh, financial decision-making. So I hope you enjoyed dropping into our conversation a little bit. Uh, Without any more exposition, here is part one of our conversation about RRSP loans. So I got a I got a text from a friend of mine the other day, which basically was, I just got pre-approved for an RSP loan. What does that mean? Hmm. And I've been having the same thing every time I log into my tangerine. The first screen that I see is, hey, you should get a tangerine loan. Oh, no, sorry, an RSP loan. And I'm like, I don't. I don't think I should. That that doesn't seem like a good idea at all. But in this whole mess up of like, it's the first two months of the year. So RSPs is just the letters that like, that's just the words that everybody's throwing around constantly. It's just, I don't remember in past years getting bombarded with so many RSP loan things. Maybe I was just not watching. Like, what's, what's the deal with that? Is that always been something that exists at this time of year? Oh, well... I mean, if 2005 counts as always. So for the past 11 <laughs> years, at least. Is it Was <laughs> it new in 2005? No, I don't think so. That's just when I started in banking. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, my touch point for everything. So that's more your timeline than like, like the timeline of RSP loans. <laughs> I feel like they've been around for a long time. Probably as long as RSPs have been around. But the, like, the basic concept is just you can take out a loan to put into your RSP and maximize your your deduction or maximize your tax savings or what's the argument for so the the selling features no it's not features the selling points are you can borrow this money and then you're going to get a big refund in april um, and then you can pay the loan back so why wouldn't you do i mean on the surface like why wouldn't you do it right that's sort of the the whole that's what they're for is to make a lump sum contribution to your RRSP and be able to claim it for the last tax year and immediately get your tax refund and then use that to pay off the loan. Okay. So that sounds fine, but I assume that it's not nearly that easy. No, I mean, there's no real, to me, there's no real obvious, oh, but you didn't think of this kind of shortcoming. There's two things to me that are sort of reasons why they're not a home run. And I think to anybody, they should be reasons that they're not a home run. Number one, you're still borrowing from tomorrow yeah. to invest today. So it's, it is a loan. You are on the hook for it. They can't um, hold your RRSP as a security. And there's a huge raft of tax consequences if you take that money out again. So you are on the hook to repay it. 
what if you made a mistake on your taxes and you don't get the amount of, mm. of a deduction or a, a refund that you thought you would? Or what if you lose your job and you need that money now or whatever? Like, so as with any loan, when you're borrowing from future you, future you might not look like present you. And there's a possibility <laughs> for that to be a problem. So, but that's so, okay, there's risk, right? And then the second thing is obviously you're paying money to do this, RSP loans charge interest just like any other kind of loan sometimes they're at like a low low price of i don't know if you could put loans on sale there are sometimes they're on sale of course it's very tempting for people who are extra clever is to sit down and say okay well the interest rate is this and my expected rate of return is this and therefore my because my expected rate of return is higher it makes sense to get out a loan and i'm going to play a little bit of interest rate arbitrage and i'm going to come out ahead in the long run and that's fine again you're making all sorts of assumptions and I think that's very silly, but go nuts. Very clever people. Okay, but what's the the real question that people are looking at when they when they're facing this screen, this marketing trap? Because it's got to be some kind of marketing trap if the bank is putting it on the front page of my login. I somehow feel like it's not just because the bank really just wants me to be okay, and they just want to check it out. And you, and you say, well, the bank wants me to be okay, and financial. Experts seem to have crunched the numbers, and it seems to be okay. And won't it feel great to have a much bigger RSP contribution this year? And won't I feel more? You know what it is? Okay, look. The bank doesn't really care if you're financially healthy. The bank has streams of income from its Wait, various product lines. What? I know. What? Mind blown. <laughs> of course, the bank can't like leave a trail of destruction obviously linked <laughs> back to them. I feel like that would be bad business practice. But the bank has no like. All they really need, but let's go back to the whole concept of RRSP season. I remember this being one of the very first things that me, the fresh ex-banker, wrote about, like impassioned about yeah. how this is such a made-up thing. Because it is a made-up thing. It is ludicrous to say that the, for this next three months, this is when we talk about RRSP. So, <laughs> so listen, the, okay, first principles. RRSP season is made up. The banks need to make money. Therefore, something that is branded RRSP during RRSP season and is also a stream of income for the bank seems like a marketing home run for them. Whether it's actually a good thing for you or not, in my spirit of like, I'll just burn it all down. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like if in any way it benefits them because they've kind of gone to all this effort to make sure the two things are tied in your mind for this yeah. artificial RSP season, then screw it. I'm not doing it at all. <laughs> I'll take you down with me, babe. <laughs> oh, another winning strategy. <laughs> But that's, that is what it feels like. Yeah. And I, I, so same thing with the other example that I would use is credit card points, right? Mm. If you're getting reward points, if you are some dumb chump that just has a normal plain vanilla MasterCard or whatever, and you're not getting any rewards for free from spending you do already, then somehow in our universe today, that means you're stupid. Yeah. And I think the same is true for RSPs. If for some, like, oh, well, why wouldn't you do it? Because of interest rate arbitrage and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, you're not universally stupid. If you look at that and go, I can't see a real net benefit to me that I wouldn't get just from saving every month or whatever, then you shouldn't feel stupid for not doing it. Yeah. The whole point is that you're trying to save something. 
and save something in RSPs, hopefully for the long term. That's what the vehicle is for. So it's, you're saying, I'm putting away money for the long term. Then the next level, after you're doing the saving, is to think about the general tax benefits of an RSP. And then the next level is to think about like kind of year after year tax benefits. Oh, where could I put the, you know, carry over? Where can I use this savings that I'm doing in this vehicle that I understand? How can I expand that? And then maybe, which is where a lot of the experts are anyways, they're at the point where they're like, oh, and if I could tweak this over here and I could tweak this over here, and that's not a necessary step. That's not one of the first three basic steps that allow you to kind of access the the tool in general. I mean, that's exactly it. If you get the first three, right? That's like, it. For example, if you're not contributing to your RRSP for a tax year in which you had no employment income, I feel like, number one, you're doing well. <laughs> you're doing really well. And like, you're honestly, you know, so many people, uh, I, I talk to so many people who are in just have shame that they don't understand how an RSP works. And it's, it's just tons of people don't really understand how that vehicle works. So it's, it's like if you're kind of even working it at that basic level, that's the only level. Like that's huge is what I'm saying. It, that's a yep. huge level to be working at it already. And just because experts don't want to don't write about that anymore because that doesn't seem exciting, especially to the kind of niche that they're writing for, which are people that live and breathe money conversations. Don't worry about it. Just shut all that stuff out. It's all about, you know, just... Am I saving for the long term? Do I understand how I'm saving? And then like working a couple of the big levers. Don't worry about the buttons underneath the hood. Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, I think so. So let's let's assume that we just we, you know, we log into Tangerine and we get that pop up. You've been pre-approved from an RSP. I think there's just a couple of basic questions that most of us are fine if we can answer those to kind of go through the yes, no algorithm of whether we should actually take these people up on the okay. offer. So the first one is, can you afford to borrow that money. If you don't get a refund this year, how does repaying that loan over the next 12 months fit into your budget? Mm -hmm. Number one. Yes, it fits in. No, it doesn't. Fine. Now, if it says yes, you can move on. Yes, if it fits into your budget, is this coming tax year, the one in which you would have to save up your contributions, is this tax year one in which you will not be able to make an RSP contribution, but last year you were able to? You know what I mean? Yes. So the answer to that is yes. Okay, then move forward. Is this something that you would contribute normally? Like if you're at Tangerine, would you normally invest your RSP at Tangerine? Yeah. Like, and that one is kind of, it doesn't matter if you say yes or no, but it's a good thing to ask anyway, because in the end, if, if really what you're doing is, is kind of playing what I would call advanced for most people, tax arbitrage, arbitrage of last year I didn't make any money, or last year I made money and this year I'm not going to make any money. Mm -hmm. I think if you've already solved that question, it doesn't matter if you're going to invest in Tantrine or not. It's probably an okay thing to do. But if yeah. it fits in your budget, if it makes sense for you from the year-over-year -year tax perspective, and if it's if it's you know a place that you would invest with not too many qualms anyway, then yeah. go for it. And otherwise delete it or say, don't tell me about this next time or whatever that checkbox is. Yeah. And, and delete it with, with not even a hint of shame of, Oh, I guess I'm not, I don't know about this, you know, just delete it proudly being like, this is not for me. This is not a tool that I need to be using right now. So that's where we left it. We railed on the banks. We made absolute statements. There was even like a list in there. 
I don't have to tell you how proud we were feeling. And then, as I said before, I got the note from Sandy saying that she had talked with somebody and, and maybe we should record a little bit more. So we jumped on a call and did a total deep dive into the nuance that we had mostly ignored the first time around. Although, I must say, we still got some good shots in at the bank. Oh, I have to look it up. Though. I have to just kind of quickly look it up just to sort of remind myself why I wanted to. Why, why you're having second thoughts completely about, um, <laughs> about your previously held opinions. About being my own jerk self. Own it. Own it. <laughs> That's the whole point of trying to like sit down and talk about it is that it can be all the things at once a little bit. You know, it can be both the worst choice for somebody to make and a really good choice for somebody to make. Yeah. Because the situation that I tossed at you was the idea that the bank kept throwing RSP loan ads at me and another friend kind of in my similar age bracket. And so without really saying it, that's the kind of scenario we were kind of thinking about. And and I think that that's not, well, obviously that's not the only scenario that people interact with RSPs. So... What did you learn in the last week that that made you say, we got to talk about this again? Well, I had a client who's really close to retiring and he emailed me and he said, I just, I just, I came across this article and I was wondering what you thought about it. And it was all about, it was actually on, it was on the um, John Chavreau's hub. So it was republished from somewhere else probably. And I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it, but he was, he was talking about um, using an RRSP loan in lots of just general situations. But this particular client is two years away from retiring, hopefully one. I mean, if he had his way, he would have retired seven years ago. No. Um, and so he had asked me, and then thinking about it, instead of in the anchoring that we had done sort of unconsciously around yeah. sort of us type people, like I'm almost 40, I don't need an RSP loan. Um, <clears throat> this client has very few years of employment income that he can deduct RSP contributions against. So it makes sense, and, and especially in his case, given just how much he has in savings and what the sort of retirement income um, plans are and those types of things, of course it makes sense to front load his RSP now while he still can use that, the tax write-off. So, and the, the, the metaphor that the author of that article was using was don't put in dry pasta, only ever put in wet pasta. I don't know. But what he was saying was, especially in this window of time that we talked about in our last one up it was completely fictional rsp season in this window of time it is true that you do have access to much more accurate data your your slips are coming in you mm. can look at your full calendar year and actually start calculating your real refund and so if you cal if, i mean the real the only risk is have you calculated your refund right and yeah. that is a true risk so it still goes back to the only reason you would ever take a loan out is if you know that you could afford to repay that loan, even if you miscalculated what your refund is going to be. In his case, we talked about it. That's a risk he's willing to take. There's some extra money if he needs to do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it made in, in that moment, I was like, oh, I feel like I need to go back and not be quite as loud and strident about this opinion as I was a week and a half ago. It was just all very timely. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, too, that, you know, you can get sucked into the conversation, and we did a little bit, and that's probably my fault. But just, all your fault. We fall into the kind of thing about the banks and advertising and how they kind of push these tools at you, and that it's so easy to get resistant when somebody's being like, when when the first screen that pops up in your uh, in your when you log into your bank is, do you want an RSP loan? Do you want a bigger refund? And you're like, 
yes, like we were talking about before, but then it's easy just to, as a, as a planner to be like, well, that's so annoying because there's no, there's no one size fits all tool. Of course, not everybody needs it. And most people probably don't, but that works on the flip side too. Cause when now we we're have jumping a... <laughs> to the other mistake, <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, we have a conversation and, and it seems like we tie it up in a nice little bow about how, you know, just don't worry about this. And it's, and like, this is not for everybody and just save and, and you go, oh, yeah, but then there's specific people. You're like, that's a great tool for you to use. And you were in exactly the situation where you can take advantage of that and you've looked at all the numbers that you need to look at. And I know. Yeah. If only the world was exactly simple. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. Yeah. It's you want. just, it's, it's what makes this job really interesting. Of course, you know, and we talk about that all the time. Like it's, it's the thing that's fascinating is you, you're constantly connecting these tools to different situations and different people. And, and then that just changes within one life, let alone multiple lives and multiple situations. Um, but it, it does get hard to make any absolute statements about anything in kind of but a vacuum. That's it. But see, that's so again, the whole idea of even having these conversations about a particular issue and watching the thought process. I mean, you've already said it a couple of times within this exact conversation, but it's exactly why we do the kind of planning work that we do, because there is there is so much room, not just for a specific optimal, you know, kind of mathematical result at the end, which in this case, there kind of is one. But there's also room for your uh, for that to occur to you or for you to realize that it applies to this person or for that person to say, no, that doesn't line up for me. I, I don't feel like the risk of. Yeah. And I, I like I, I wish that there was, of course, a lot more nuance in the absolute statements that come out in advertising and writing and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I very quickly fell into absolutes. A week and a half ago, which I tend to do anyway. So it's, I mean, I, I think it's really valuable to watch sort of the thought process and also just to realize that, uh, something, some life lesson tied up in a big bow here. <laughs> well, I, I think that it's something I was thinking about last week or a couple of weeks ago, the idea of, like, of course, we're drawn to absolutes. We're drawn to absolutes in, in everything. We're, we're drawn to anything that tries to make things a bit simpler because, Things do get hard and, and everything kind of gets bogged down in minutia and it's relationships with everything and it's politics and it's and it's belief and it's all these things that are just hard to find absolutes. And and so we look for them across the board and we're drawn to making a statement that we can believe in. And like I think that it's it starts with just trying to build up awareness about which which absolutes you've kind of stuck your claim in. And, mm. and for, I, I think it becomes a different responsibility for people that are engaging in, in the conversation around uh, money specifically, but engaging in education and engaging in kind of trying to be a part of the wider conversation. Because it's not just trying to find absolutes for your own life, which you, know, you need to do to a certain extent to kind of put some pillars down to build up the rest of your life. But... It, Saying absolutes, it, it can really be confusing for people and it can be alienating for people that don't don't kind of connect to them, right? 
it's mm. it can be really alienating. Like it, RSP loans are one thing. I, I doubt that it's all that alienating for somebody because it's such a specific small issue. But there's lots of things in finance that people say, this is how it has to be. It's simple to do it this way. It's simple to think about your money this way. And when it's not simple to you, when that absolute doesn't track, it can be extremely alienating um, to the detriment of, of overall financial literacy and overall kind of cultural uh, financial literacy. Yeah. Which, which sucks. And I think that that's something that, like you said, you can get so easily drawn into it, even if you're not kind of a, a corporate structure that's acting on an agenda. Um, you just can get drawn into it because it's easier and it's easier to talk about it that way. But it's, it's, it's got to be talked about in a different way or at least tried to in a, in a way that both recognizes it looks into specific situations and tries to say, in this specific situation, here's what the thought process would be. Mm. Um, and then blowing it up and saying, but that doesn't work all the time. So I, I actually had, uh, I was talking to some artists yesterday and came across the metaphor of, um, so when you're learning how to do, and I think this is true for any art, but I'll take it with singing. Um, I can go and hear one of the masters and hear them sing and it's fine. Uh, like it's, it's great for me to listen, but if I go into my studio and try to mimic exactly what they do, I'm not going to get any real results. That's not how it's going to, I can't learn to do what they do just by mimicking. You can't mimic the result. You have to mimic the process. That's the real thing. You can talk to them and they can explain how they got to making the sound that they made. And if you follow that same process, the thought process, the finding of the right questions, the answering them for yourself, and the kind of going through the steps, you might end up with a different result, but you'll end up with the right result for you. And so it's that kind of focusing on, yes, there are tools, but focusing on uh, really trying to find the process and what the process that people have succeeded with is and trying to fit yourself into that and not worrying so much about what the result has been and trying to mimic that. I think that is a very tidy bow. <laughs> tidy bow. Very tidy bow. We like tidy bows. No, um, I would also add that in when, you, you know, if you're trying to replicate somebody's process, and you're evaluating and you're being, you're kind of, that's a, that's a, a time thing, right? Like you can't, you can't suddenly have the same way of looking at your yeah. finances tomorrow because you read somebody's book. It might help, but yeah. you need time to turn those yeah. ideas into kind of grooves in your mind that actually, you know, get you somewhere. You're laying down tracks, right? Um, so as you're bombarded with, especially people who are just starting to think about it, or realizing that there's more than just, oh, hey, I put money into RSPs and then I retire and that's, right? That's the way it works. Um, I think it's still useful for people to evaluate the actual tools that people are telling them to use, like, for example, an RSP loan. And it, and not just evaluate with, okay, so where does this fit in my process? Is it okay to delay this until I kind of get it more? But also, what is the magnitude of, like, what's the, what's the what happens if I get this wrong? Or how helpful is this if I get it right? And there's lots of things that, like the big complex things, like the Smith maneuver or Norbert's gate, everything that has like a name or a maneuver or a yeah, totally. Typically, those are like quite large, and the magnitude of error could be 
also quite large. Um, so those have to be further on in the process. Something like an RRSP loan, again, it, it's probably not going to make a huge difference. For example, this client, it's not going to make an enormous difference in the date that he can retire because that all comes from a bunch of other very uncertain things as well, right? But it might make us, because it's not going to make a huge difference, it, it's, it might be, this is, this, as I'm saying it, I'm realizing how very conservative this sounds. Well, don't take a chance if it's going to be a big chance. <laughs> Only take a chance if it's going to be a little chance. No, but it's. I think that it makes complete sense what you said. I wish I could remember the exact words, but that just the idea of it, it really is just an awareness. It's just like if you're aware of what failure means and what success means, you can make an informed decision. And it's just like no matter what the risk is, if it if you if you look at those kind of things and you see a high like a a, a big margin of risk on both ends of that, but you're fine taking it, great. But you need to the, those are that is the process that you need to go into looking at this and apply your own kind of things both to small tools like the RSP loan and then the big gambit crazy more complicated things which just you know like John says it all the time like some things just aren't worth the time. Like, yeah. and that's the truth for big things like investing in general. It's like it's sometimes people, not everybody wants to be a day trader. And so like know that about yourself and don't be a day trader. Find some other way to do it. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but if they're all, if all those tools are presented at the same volume and the same urgency, yeah. that's when, that's when somebody who hasn't had the time to watch the process and really get to know themselves, all those things that we want just as human beings in any area of our life, not just finance. Yeah. It's really easy to see just like if you're looking at a bar chart, all the bars are exactly the same level yeah. and you're like, I don't know what one to pay attention to yeah. right now. And then and then the way that people write about and talk about and, you know, pop up ads for each of these particular strategies and tools and uh, products and whatever, that becomes a problem for people who are just trying to do the right thing and don't know if it's a big right thing that they're doing or maybe a big wrong thing that they're doing. Totally. Always able to bring it back to cynicism about banking. <laughs> my superpower I, I feel strongly that the cynicism is not wrong <laughs> it's just and, and this coming back and re-looking at a topic does not mean that any of this is a cynicism about the fact that RSP season does not exist and the fact that pushing an RSP loan by a bank or by a financial institution has an inherent agenda and you can recognize that but you also have to say like you know it's, it's valuable for me to notice that my agenda and my own bias is constantly to, um, it's to be oversensitive about what exactly you just said, about people getting left behind and people getting overwhelmed and trying to always bring it back to just what's step one, what's step one, what's step one, which is great for a certain portion. Like all biases serve a certain audience, but it means that sometimes if you're not there, and if you're at a station like uh, a situation like you're saying your client is in, that's he doesn't need step one. He's done step one. He's done a bunch of the steps, and so um, you can look at tools in a different way. And this is why it, the conversation both is hard and really interesting, um, because we'll probably want to do another episode like this in a week when somebody comes out and says something else that's interesting, and you go, "Oh, right." about RSP loans. <laughs> and then this podcast will become uh, wholly about RSP loans. It'll be just, it'll be the most specific. It'll be massively nuanced <laughs> and nobody will listen. I've never 
Why would anybody no, listen? More nobodies will listen. No, nobody else will listen. Oh, man. I love it. Well, you know what they say. There's no niche too small. <laughs> Done. So that is our show for this week. From all of us here at the Because Money team, thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do here, please head over to wherever you download this podcast and leave us a nice review. It really helps people find the podcast. Have yourself a great week. And remember, if this conversation in any way helped, that's great. But if it didn't really resonate with you, you can follow this advice from the wonderful Sandy Martin. Pretend that you're a man and it's an ad for a prenatal vitamin. Like, do I have a uterus? No. Then I can safely ignore this. It has nothing to do with me. Obviously.